Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for the GNFCC 400 Insider. Connect, build, and grow with the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Wellstar Chamber Luncheon Series for July. I'm Alan Najar with Smith & Howard CPA Firm, and it's my pleasure to serve as the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce Board Chairman. Thank you for joining us for this virtual event. While we all very much like seeing you in person, these virtual lunches are really pretty neat because everybody gets to sit at the head table. You're directly in front of our speaker. Your restroom is just around the corner. You don't have to take any notes because John Ray at Business Radio X is going to do that for you. And it won't take any time at all to get out of the parking lot. So before we get into today's program, I want to recognize and thank our luncheon series naming sponsor and call on John Paul Croom, who's the president of Wellstar North Fulton. John Paul, please. Great. Thank you very much, Alan. Uh, Wellstar uh, North Fulton Hospital is pleased to be able to present this chamber series um, I hope everybody is is healthy during this time. I know many of us, including myself, have had family members uh, that have suffered from the effects of COVID-19, uh, but we hope if you are there that you are recovering well. Uh, we are uh, at Wellstar are very optimistic about the treatments uh, that we are seeing uh, patients receive, as well as the, uh, the vaccines that are in the work works over the next several months. Uh, all of us uh, on this call are working toward uh, getting back to some level of, of normalcy, and we all look forward to that. Uh, as we all begin to rehire and bring patient, bring uh, employees back from furlough, uh, Wellstar at North Fulton has brought an added service to the North Fulton community. I just wanted to mention that we recently moved an occupational health physician office to our Upper Hembree Road road location. Um, This allows us to expand capabilities of our urgent care centers. We can do pre-employment screenings, drug testings, wellness screenings, and executive physicals. And for large businesses in the area, we are now um, being able to provide on-site clinics uh, to limit the amount employees would need to be away from work. If you're interested in that, please contact me or Lindsay Petrini with with more information. Again, we are, uh, we are excited to, uh, to continue to have these these meetings, and um, thank you for the uh, opportunity. Uh, Alan, I'll turn it back to you. John Paul, thank you so much. And again, on behalf of our entire North Fulton community, we appreciate you and your whole team going to high alert status five months ago and staying there. We know that's not easy, and I can tell you we all are very appreciative for what you and your team are doing. So thank you again. Thank you. Ne- next, we'll hear from... Uh, few remarks from today's presenting sponsor, and I'll ask our good friend Don Barber with AT&T Georgia to give us an update. Don, please. Thanks, Alan, and uh, good morning, everyone. On behalf of AT&T Georgia, it is our pleasure to partner with the Chamber as a presenting sponsor of today's virtual luncheon. I especially look forward to hearing the remarks of our guest speaker today, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan. AT&T is proud to have the nation's best and fastest wireless network, as well as the largest network in North America. We recently announced that over the last three years, from 2017 to 2019, 
that we have invested nearly $5.5 billion in our wireless and wireline networks in Georgia to expand coverage and improve connectivity in more communities. This investment has increased reliability, coverage, and overall performance for residents and businesses, which is essential for connecting our customers with family, friends, and colleagues, no matter the distance. It's also improved critical communication services for Georgia's first responders using our FirstNet network. Today, our wireless network covers more than 330 million people, which is over 99% of all Americans. And during the three-year period that I mentioned, we've also expanded. 5G is the future of wireless technology and is poised to jumpstart the next wave of mobile innovation. Georgia customers are already experiencing the power of 5G in many areas, and we're committed to bringing next generation 5G coverage to more communities across the state as we build toward nationwide coverage this year. We're also honored to work with the First Responder Network Authority or the FirstNet Authority to build and manage FirstNet, the only nationwide high-speed broadband communications platform dedicated to and purpose-built for Americans, America's first responders and the extended public safety community. And we take our responsibility to deliver FirstNet very seriously. Building upon our current and planned investments in Georgia, we continue to ex- expand the reach and increase the coverage capacity and capabilities of the FirstNet network. We're doing that in a number of ways. First, by making purpose-built network enhancements, such as boosting the network with high-quality band 14 spectrum across Georgia and many communities. Band 14 is nationwide high-quality spectrum set aside by the government specifically for FirstNet. Second, through public safety-specific advanced capabilities, FirstNet is providing Georgia public safety with dedicated access when they need it, as well as an entire communication ecosystem with unique benefits like mission-centric devices, certified applications, always-on priority and preemption, and high-quality band 14 spectrum that I just mentioned. These advanced capabilities enable FirstNet to perform faster than any commercial network and bring its subscribers the unthrottled connectivity they need. Third, through unparalleled emergency support, Georgia agencies on FirstNet have 24-7 access to a nationwide fleet of 76 deployable network assets. These assets can either be deployed for planned events or called upon in emergencies at no additional charge to help first responders stay connected and operate faster, safer, and more effectively when lives are on the line. FirstNet response operations, led by a group of former first responders, guides the deployment of the FirstNet deployable assets based on the needs of public safety. Fourth and finally, we will provide free smartphones for life for public safety agencies. We have a responsibility to public safety unlike any wireless carrier. That's why Georgia agencies spending 
law enforcement, fire, EMS, healthcare, hospital emergency departments, emergency management, and 911 operations on FirstNet can stay up to date with smartphones for life at no additional cost. This means first responders across agencies of all sizes will have affordable access to their network. The FirstNet network expansion across Georgia is being done with direct feedback from state and public safety officials. This helps ensure FirstNet meets the short and long-term needs of the public safety com community. I've covered a lot in a short amount of time, so I'll stop there. But once again, we greatly appreciate our partnership with the Chamber, and I hope you enjoyed today's legislative wrap-up program. Alan, I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you. Tom, thank you. We certainly appreciate AT&T's significant and tremendous investment in the community with your communications capabilities, but also your tremendous investment in our chamber with your continued support of our events. I'd also like to recognize today's gold sponsor, Dean Collins, a senior partner with the Axis Companies. Dean also serves as chairman of the Regional Business Coalition. Dean, please give us an update on behalf of RBC. Thanks, Alan, and thanks for inviting the RBC members on today's uh, call and allowing me to speak today on behalf of uh, RBC. Uh, the Regional Business Coalition actually is, is a pretty unique group. It's an organization of 16 local chambers of commerce throughout the metropolitan area. Uh, RBC members represent about 100,000 businesses and collectively employ over a million people here in Metro Atlanta. You know, our charge at RBC is, is to represent the interests of the, of the chamber members on public policy issues that really have to do with transportation, water, and air. And we, we advocate for, for solutions to improve metropolitan areas' um, quality of life and certainly economic vitality. And that's all I got for today, Alan. I'll keep it short. Dean, thank you so much. I appreciate the great work that you and the RBC are doing for our regional community, and thank you for your sponsorship of today's program. I'd also like to thank our media sponsor, John Ray, and the North Fulton Business Radio X. As I said earlier, you don't have to take notes today because John Ray is doing that for you, and uh, John or Stacy can uh, give you access to that later today. Mm -hmm. um, now on with the program. It's my pleasure today to introduce Georgia's Lieutenant Governor, Jeff Duncan. Jeff graduated from Chattahoochee High School in Alpharetta, where he met his wife, Brooke. Jeff and Brooke both attended Georgia Tech, where Jeff was a scholarship pitcher. After a successful career at Tech, Jeff was drafted by the Florida Marlins organization and spent six seasons playing baseball in the minor leagues, advanced as high as AAA before the shoulder injury forced his retirement in the early 2000s. After retiring from baseball, Jeff and his wife, Brooke, started a small marketing firm in their living room. The company experienced tremendous success, which allowed Jeff and Brooke to sell the business and move on to multiple other entrepreneurial ventures. Jeff most recently served as the CEO of a health technology startup. Jeff's faith inspired him to a life of leadership and prompted his upstart run for political office. He was elected to the Georgia House of Representatives in 2012, and during his time in office, he authored several important pieces of legislation, including House Bill 749, which is known as the Cargo Theft Act, House Bill 152, 
Michael's Law, as you probably will remember it, and most recently, Senate Bill 258, the Rural Hospital Tax Credit. Jeff, thank you so much for your service to our great state and for being with us today. Welcome, our Lieutenant Governor, Jeff Duncan. Well, thank you for that introduction. I appreciate it. And uh, so interesting you got to hear that. My story started in uh, uh, North Fulton right there, right? So I went to high school at Chattahoochee and um, you know, uh, met my wife there and uh, grew up in Alpharetta, grew up just like the city and, and kind of that whole North Fulton corridor did over the last uh, 20 or 30 years and got, got to see where we're at today. Uh, it doesn't take me to remind everybody on this call that that little corridor literally uh, is globally connected and continues to lead so many different industries, uh, whether it be health, uh, IT, venture capital, transportation, uh, infrastructure. There's so many different organizations uh, and, and kind of industry lanes that, that have been built right there. So, yeah, my story is as homegrown as it gets. Uh, I probably would have never have guessed going to Chattahoochee High School that I'd be on the, the, the keynote speaker at a chamber speech. Um, uh, certainly, certainly I wouldn't have predicted that. Maybe somebody else. None of my teachers would have predicted it for sure. Um, also, I, I, hopefully, uh, and I, I think I've got Senator John Albers, uh, and I don't know if you can raise your hand or, or whatnot, but I, I know you're on this call. I know that you're a great friend of mine and you're a huge part of our story down here. So thanks for what you're doing and uh, thanks for all the support that you give us. And uh, I can certainly tell you on behalf of the Lieutenant Governor's Office, John Albers goes to bat for, for uh, you guys each and every day down here at the Capitol and does an incredible job. Uh, and so thank, thanks for your friendship, John, and, and I'm certain you're on the call. Um, so I don't know really where to start, right? I mean, I want to give you a legislative recap and all that good stuff, but uh, we've got a lot going on. Um, certainly there's a, there's a tremendous amount of headwinds uh, in a number of different areas. And so at the risk of just kind of going through it, I want to just kind of give you a quick recap of where we're at on a couple of big issues. And then we'll talk about session and some other things as we go forward. Um, look, we're right in the middle of some uncertain times. Um, COVID-19 has certainly disrupted uh, everything. And uh, I'm certain every business represented on this call has been has been disrupted one of the most encouraging things for me is to watch businesses and entrepreneurs and executives and, and blue collar and white collar, everybody come together and try to figure out a lane forward uh, as to how to how to make make our way through this. This is a temporary blip in time. Uh, it certainly lasted longer than we wanted to, but our state's reaction has been one that I think is by, by no means would myself or the governor say it's been perfect. But uh, it has certainly been one that we have not been afraid to, to make sure we ask the right questions. We, we lean in the direction of communities. We lean in the direction of small businesses. We lean in the direction of trying to keep people gainfully employed, all the while making sure we balance the health crisis that we're in here. Uh, there is absolutely a, a record number of test kits being given out all across the state. There is a continued level of resources available at the hospitals in all regions, certainly not uh, at the level that we want in every region, but there is a hospital bed and an ICU unit and a ventilator available in every single part of the state at this current moment, and we hope to keep it there. Um, just as a quick reminder, the steps that we took early on, there was nothing in, in what we did initially here in Georgia when we, when we kind of put life on hold that was about presenting this as the virus was going to go away. It was simply about protecting our healthcare system and our first responders in a way that made sure that we didn't overrun our healthcare system. And we've done that. 
And certainly we want to continue to make sure that we promote things like social distancing and wearing your mask. Uh, I've got this one here. And turn your head if you're a Georgia fan. But I also got this Georgia Tech one that's on my desk for certain moments. Uh, oh, there you go. You're going to counterweight me with the Georgia logo. Um, but those are important things. And, and certainly until we find a virus, it's going to be with us. And we're going to have to continue to navigate through this. Um, but I want to make sure that you know that our response here in Georgia and the governor's response has been very measured, very data driven. And it will certainly continue uh, to, to take those take those paths. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to continue to face economic headwinds. I want to make sure you understand that our we, we are facing un, you know unprecedented times with the with the economy. Uh, we have high unemployment. We're going to do all the things we can do to continue to promote a safe and healthy community. But we also got to make sure that we, we we do all that we can do to make sure our small, medium, and large businesses feel that they're supported here in this state and continue to have an opportunity. Uh, to, to keep their doors open and to continue to find ways to operate in a different environment with social distancing and, and certainly looking for ways to, to promote online purchases and, and continue to look for ways to, to, to support our community efforts. Um, but we have some headwinds and uh, there's no way around that. There, there's no replacement for a job. And uh, certainly we want to make sure that we have as low of unemployment as we possibly can and trend in that direction. Uh, because the, one of the stickiest things in my experience as an entrepreneur and also as, as a community leader, one of the stickiest things to a tough uh, economy is unemployment. And so we want to do all we can do. My, my personal thanks to everybody on this call for the commitment you've made and to the um, investment that you've made into keeping your business afloat and to keeping your business thriving and to do all, all that you can do to continue to keep people employed in your business and to continue to make investments into um, new cap, you know, new new infrastructure to make sure that you've got access to PPE for your employees and your customers, and also just uh, looking for for innovative ways to to do uh, to operate in, in a different environment. So, thanks. We understand it. Your governor, your lieutenant governor, your senator John Albers. We certainly understand how hard it is to operate in this environment, and we respect you for it. And we're here, and we got your back. We're going to continue to look for ways that we can to move forward. And one of those is, is school. Look, I, I get it. I've got three school-age kids, and it's a diff- I live just uh, one exit north of, of some of y'all in Forsyth County. We live off of exit 13 there in the south Forsyth little, little area. And uh, I think school is an important part of the economy. It's an important part of our future. Um, and we're going to do all that we can do to get kids back in the classroom or virtually based on whatever their, their personal family situation is if somebody's got a family environment that's not conducive to, to uh, increased risk. But uh, certainly we want to make sure we're there to, to continue to have continuity of ed- education uh, and to continue to get those kids in the classrooms. Um, so we're working hard with school districts. We're working hard with communities. Um, we're working hard with the Department of Education to make sure that we have that environment. Uh, I said this on national TV the other day. Uh, when I got pushed about, you know, education and getting back in the classroom. Look, I, I think there's this sense that we're trying to jam at times square pegs through round holes. That's not our approach to delivering education here in this COVID-19 environment. Our kind of perspective is we're trying to to reshape the peg. And we're trying to make sure we understand the nuances of how we deliver this education and how we handle an in-classroom infection that we need to communicate out. Um, and certainly we're going to do all that we can do 
to to deliver a quality education uh, to make sure that we 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 get to the the ultimate goal here is to get back to normal. And uh, certainly, I think it's a big part of the economy because, as many of you know, there there is a difficult environment around getting employees back when their kids don't have access to to uh, uh, daycare or or just just supervision in general. Uh, and so that that's a big mantra. So. Thanks for being patient with us. Thanks for being understanding and being nimble. And we're going to continue to try to do all that we can do um, around this. Uh, so let's quickly talk about session. Uh, there's a million things we could talk about. You know, certainly uh, there was a, a very productive environment uh, before COVID hit. And then we had to go on pause for an extended period of time and then come back and have uh, a close. Uh, I want to give a, a huge shout out. To Senator Albers, and, uh, I, and and certainly if I'm missing another senator that that's on the call, uh, uh, certainly I'm, I'm very grateful for the whole efforts of, of the Senate. Um, but a continued, uh, just uh, daily, hourly reminder of the importance of making sure we understand business, but also to uh, our first responders and, and your support around uh, House Bill 838, John, was a huge deal in getting us across the finish line and making sure that we we protected our first responders um, and making sure that they they received uh, equal protection around any sort of bias motivated intimidation. Uh, certainly, that was a big deal for us. Um, hate crimes in general was, I think, an important piece of legislation that we passed. We took on. Uh, we improved what was a a House version of the bill. We took a lot of input from our Judiciary Committee. Uh, we took a lot of input from our community. Uh, we took a lot of input from our, our legal team here inside the lieutenant governor's office to make sure that we had a bill that we were not just uh, proud in the moment when there was a lot of attention on us, but we were going to be proud for generations on the work we put into it and the protections that it put in place. I think the business overall, the business climate uh, was very, very supportive of that legislation as we marched through um, and making sure that we we certainly put out a good message for those people that are here, that we are very, very supportive of uh, protecting anybody in some sort of bias-motivated crime, but also as an outbound message to companies all over the world that Georgia certainly did not support uh, any sort of hate crime or, or were, were not willing to, uh, to punish or, or, or deter anybody from that. Uh, I also think one of the most important bills that we supported, and, and, and Senator Albers was another part of this, was COVID liability reform. Uh, I'm very uh, certainly supportive of, of, of liability reform, uh, tort reform in general, but this was one of these nuances and certainly proud of the efforts of what we were able to accomplish at literally the 11th hour, uh, maybe the 11th hour and 59 minutes uh, in session. But we got a bill across the finish line that the governor signed uh, that allows us um, to be able to um, uh, make sure we understand that businesses are, are making taking risks and 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 making investments into making sure they reopen and stay open. And certainly we don't want a frivolous lawsuit to get in the ways of either them opening or certainly them having to shut down at some point in the near future. Uh, I believe if a business is uh, is is playing by the rules, the federal, state and local rules, and they're doing all that they can do with PPE and social distancing and and operating a very crisp, clean business environment, both for their customers and for their employee, that they should be caught up in a frivolous lawsuit just because 
uh, one person or, or, or a handful of people uh, got, got COVID-19 in some sort of unknown place and they take, uh, they, you know, some sort of legal format puts them out there to sue everybody that they've been in contact with for a relatively short period of time and either deter or shut down that business. And so proud of our efforts of negotiating and look, that's complicated. Everybody here um, is, is used to working in a, in a very, you know, uh, difficult legal environment. And look, I, I'm perfectly supportive of, of that. I just want to make sure that there's no sort of out of weight or out of balance effort uh, as we navigate our way through a pandemic. Uh, I'm also very proud of the healthcare reforms that we came up with. Uh, really, a lot of initiatives here inside our office around healthcare reform has been a two-year process around a task force uh, that, that some of you may have even participated in around, um, you know, surprise billing, uh, around an all-claims uh, uh, payer database, uh, health, claim, health claims payer database, which allows us to use data and allows us to, to be able to have this, this central depository to allow us to make better decisions as we move forward. Uh, we made a lot of uh, improvements around telehealth and opportunities to kind of remove the chokehold of innovation around healthcare. Um, and certainly we're going to continue to take great strides forward, but whether your business is in healthcare uh, or not, it doesn't matter. We're all affected by healthcare. And as entrepreneurs, uh, as we move forward, uh, it's very, very important for us to make sure that we have the opportunity for us um, to have affordable and, and have better access to healthcare. And, and certainly we're going to continue to put Georgia in a great light as, as, as we move forward with that to be very innovative because it's complicated and it's expensive, but it's necessary. And so we're going to make sure that we're in a good spot for that. Um, you know, with that, you know, uh, one of my big economic, you know, kind of big pushes is I want Georgia to be the technology capital of the East Coast. And to do that, we got to fire in all cylinders. And I've got a task force that was chaired by uh, former Georgia Tech president, Dr. Bud Peterson, Johnny Isaacson. Uh, we've been fortunate to have a number of folks on our task force, Paul Judge and Paul Bowers and Marty Flanagan, and I'm leaving out Deborah Lamb. I'm leaving out a ton of others that have helped us really shape and form this. But to think about this, to become the technology capital of the East Coast, uh, we got a fire in all cylinders. K-12 through has got to continue to produce talent for us. Higher ed has got to continue to make sure that they – they are training and educating in the proper paths to be able to hand off into the workforce. We got to make sure that we keep that talent here in Georgia and that we're continually looking for ways to partner with the private sector. Um, we're looking for ways to invite investment here and to keep investment here. Uh, almost every business here at some point you took an investment on to, to break the strings of gravity. Um, and certainly we want to make sure this is an incredibly rich place, rich as in the number and the quality of, of, of investments and ideas uh, for us to make sure that this continues to grow. And so we've continued to look for opportunities to, to look for whether it be legislation or just the ripe environment for us to cultivate talent. Um, and, you know, I can't say this often because it isn't really relevant or, or, or received well, but really one of the, one of the best kind of breeding grounds in my mind uh, is coming up with this idea of becoming the technology capital of the East Coast was growing up in Alpharetta and watching Windward Parkway. You know, I often tell this story. It, you know, when I when we moved into the North Fulton area, 
we were waiting for a house to get built in Roswell as a kid. And uh, we stayed in the residence inn right there. And I asked my dad one day, I said, why would Marriott build this residence inn in the middle of nowhere? You know, there's a bunch of pine trees and a two lane road called Windward Parkway. And uh, he said, look, Marriott knows something we don't. And certainly they did. And to watch a city and a county and a region pull together with, with advanced thinking around technology and around infrastructure. You know, Brandon Beach uh, has been a huge, huge part of that. Uh, he's the other senator that I, I forgot was going to be on the call. Watching him develop this this strategy and watching just the community come together over literally a 30-year period of time of being intentional about trying to lay down fiber when it didn't necessarily make sense uh, around and in making investments into local education and and, and working in, in partnership with the city and, and with the county uh, and watching now over 700 you know, technology businesses show up and call that region home. It doesn't happen by mistake. Um, and watching this really kind of develop in my mind as a kid, as a college student, as an entrepreneur, and now as a lieutenant governor, uh, watching this synergy and this, this kind of symphony play allows me to gain confidence in the notion of we can be the technology capital of the East Coast because of the, the, the hard work of so many of being intentional around this. And so uh, I think we can achieve it. And certainly, I, you know, I literally I've been in all over the country over the last two years, kind of walking around this um, uh, this piece of, uh, you know, information. Uh, and, uh, this notion around being the technology capital of the East coast, I was in a, uh, uh, the top floor of a Goldman Sachs building at a cocktail party of all places. I didn't think anybody in the room knew my name. And all of a sudden, by the time the end of the, the evening popped up, um, I had this entire contingent of people around me that, that were like, Hey, tell us more about this technology capital of the East coast. So, uh, without boring you with that, look, it's intentional. You know, you've got Brandon beach and you've got John Albers and, uh, you've got the, the, the chance of, of a good friend of mine, Matt Reeves, who's who's vying for a Senate seat in an open open spot there. Uh, these are people that truly understand how important business is, that truly understand how important uh, eco, you know economic decisions are. Uh, and so as we move forward, uh, I'm proud to be from from that that region. I'm proud to run businesses in that area. Uh, I'm proud to partner with a number of people in the legislature. Um, I'm proud of the efforts that you guys put forward. Uh, and over the years, I've had so many different opportunities um, that we've been able to have around, um, you know, partnering with different little civic groups and whatnot. So uh, you guys are probably tired of hearing from me. I'd love to hear from you. Um, but look, I'm a proud North Fulton, uh, you know, um, alumni, I guess I would call it. Uh, and certainly uh, my wife is from, fun, funny story, my wife was born in Roswell. Uh, I got her to move to Alpharetta and now she's, I've gotten her so far out of her nest. We've moved one exit North to South Forsyth County. Uh, so we, we, we certainly haven't gone any further than that. So look, I get it. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I get it. We're in the middle of a tough economy. I get it. This is like no other time in the world, but this too will pass and uh, we will be better for this. We will all be better leaders. We'll be tougher. We'll be grittier. And Georgia is going to be an incredible place to run your business and raise your family. Uh, for for years to come. So thanks for the opportunity to kind of address you. And um, I'd love to, if the format's set up right, to be able to answer any questions that you guys might have. 
Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for your time today. Good and decisive governance is irreplaceable, and we can't thank you enough for showing up and standing up at the right time when we really needed your leadership. So very, very much appreciated from your community. I think we do have a few questions that have been submitted by participants this morning, and a few have also probably come in from the chat room. So Stacey Garman with the chamber is going to coordinate um, the questions for you to answer, Lieutenant Governor. Stacey. Perfect. Hi, yes, we do have um, a question that's been submitted. And any other questions, please put in the Q&A function at the bottom of the Zoom uh, panel bar down there. Um, a question is hate crimes legis- is revolving around hate crimes legislation. Um, district attorneys don't fulfill their responsibilities of prosecuting crime. How does the state work to prevent situations says, such as the Aubrey murder going unprosecuted for 10 and a half weeks? Yeah, so that was really the center point of the whole legislation. Obviously, there was a lot of things that broke down there. I mean, one, you had the initial act of the hate crime. that I think it would be hard to not point to that being uh, a hate crime when you watch that video play out. But then two was the subsequent process that played out after that. Uh, and certainly we used as much, you know, we, we, we tried to go a little bit of a different route to create a separate standalone charge of a hate crime. There wasn't a lot enough support to get that across the finish line. So to answer that kind of nuance of how do we prevent what happened there was we created um, in, in the legislation um, this mandatory reporting process that allows us to gather the data to be able to watch where and when and how this stuff is happening so that we can isolate these situations all across the state and not wait for something like Ahmad Arbery's situation to play out, that we can identify that and see that we actually had a problem well before we actually see that, that tragic incident play out. It's a lot like the family violence. Uh, we, we, we copied the same language from the family violence uh, mandatory reporting. And it's really, I think it's played out well in that scenario. And I think it will serve us well here, uh, play out. It'll make everybody better and smarter at their jobs because of data and, and because of the, the understanding. The current way is it's, it's, a, uh, it's, uh, it's a tack on charge uh, that goes on in, in the district attorney uh, or, or, you know, has to be able to, to, um, to, to be able to call that forward. And, and certainly there's ways to improve it. I think time as time goes on, but it was, it was the best way that we could deal with it in, in the current situation. Thank you. Um, the next question, other than attracting technology companies to move and invest into the tech hub of the East Coast, is there any strategy or vision to also attract manufacturing as well, given how many companies are looking to shift their primary production back to the U.S. to ensure supply chain disruptions um, that we're seeing now don't happen again? Yeah, certainly the governor has made a big initiative of this, I believe, and I can't remember the exact details, but there was a there was a bill passed during the General Assembly uh, that was allowed us to invite folks from around the world in the manufacturing of PPE to call Georgia home. Uh, we have an incredible story to tell here in Georgia, and being the technology capital of the East Coast, and that's not just an Atlanta story, that's an all of Georgia story, but it also helps us invite manufacturing here because of our port and because of our transportation lanes that run through you know, kind of zigzag all throughout the state. It puts us really in the center of the, of the eastern and southern, uh, you know, universe here inside of the, the country. Uh, I have this during, during the campaign, and, and I often talk about it, this program called Big Built in Georgia, you know, looking for ways to invite manufacturing from all over kind of this quadrant of the country to call Georgia home. 
uh, I think it's a continued reminder that it's a great, you know, it's, it's, it's a very business friendly tax environment here in Georgia. Uh, the cost of, of, of doing business here in Georgia is less than a lot of our peers. Uh, but also, this is a great place to, re- to rent to raise your family. And we need to continue to rem- remind folks. And I think rural and, and urban areas alike are, are important parts for us to produce and manufacture products as we go forward. Uh, I do think the best way to do that is to be, you know, business friendly through uh, the legislation that we pass and don't pass, but also to make sure that we have a ripe economic environment here. And certainly, I think we're putting a great foot forward, but the certain a, a, a continued emphasis on production and manufacturing is an important one and important story to tell here. And I think we've seen governors do this all throughout the past. You know, Kia, uh, Baxter, Cat, um, um, and uh then, you know, we, we've got the battery factory uh, in, uh, I just drew a blank, uh, SF, uh, uh, is it SF, um, SK Industries up, up the 85 corridor. Sorry. I mean, that's like a, a, a $5 billion investment, and we're going to continue to look for ways to do that. Great. What are the state's plans for presumed funds that will come from the passage of the CARES Act or CARES 2.0 in um, Washington? What are the major areas that will not be addressed in funds as well? So you're referring to the to be passed 2.0? Correct. The upcoming. Yeah, I, I think I, one, I, I don't think it's a guarantee um, because we've got uh, obviously a lot of political issues. I, I hope certainly that there's another package. So we'll have to wait and see exactly what, what we're able to use it for and not use it for. I know that we actually still have CARES funds in the state budget or in the, in, you know, that have been allotted to us, that the governor and his team are working closely with OPB and others to look for opportunities to spend those dollars. But there's so many strings attached and so many nuances, but certainly the governor and his team have done a good job of looking for ways to deploy those funds to make sure that we can get through this unprecedented time. I'll have to wait to see what the, what the fine print looks like in 2.0. Uh, you know, the unfortunate part about politics is it's politics. And uh, certainly we'll continue to see uh, different things uh, fly into that as we move forward. I will tell you that just kind of as, as a, you didn't ask me the question, but I'm going to give you the answer. That $600 extra federal bump in, in unemployment, you know, I'm cert- certain there's a number of households that was very helpful for. But I can tell you that I heard more often than not that those negatively affected businesses that we're trying to hire workers in that price range because that roughly equated to about $15 an hour. And it created some very, very tough situations in trying to bring back people because you were essentially competing against that. And so certainly uh, I, I would, I would hope to see a reduction in that, not because I don't want to, you know, t- I don't want to take money out of people's pockets, but if there's jobs waiting for people, uh, I, I, it's, it's obviously much better and cheaper for us to, to use the private sector as a, as a pay source and not the government in that environment. And many on this call would probably have some sort of input to that too. Sure. Uh, the cities of North Fulton have uh, not received any CARES Act funding, which would help us support local efforts to provide much needed childcare and remote learning services, which would allow major employers to get their people back to work. How is the state working with local officials on that? So I, I think the way that question was answered is makes it sound like, I mean, it almost sounded like I was on CNN listening to a media question, that only the cities of North Fulton were left out. Uh, <laughs> certainly that's not the case. It's a very important part of our state, and our economy. Um, but I, you know, I think it's very, very important for us to make sure that we look at this from a holistic approach. This is a marathon and not a sprint. 
Uh, certainly, I, like the governor, believe that the private sector is the best solution for a lot of this. I think one of the most, uh, you know, best traits that we have in that area of our state is how innovative and how self-sufficient we are. Let's look for ways to help ourselves. Uh, let's make sure that we do plug some gaps around innovation and education and, and broadband and some other areas uh, around virtual learning and also child care. But certainly, I don't think the government's going to be the only answer for us to get back on our feet. Um, if, if those CARES Act dollars shows up, that's great. Uh, and it's certainly there's enough to go around. But let's make sure we figure out our own solutions to move forward, because ultimately, that's the longest, most successful strategy to get out of this. Sorry for the abrupt answer. I just I, I didn't like the way the question was. And I know you didn't ask it. Somebody else. Did. Thank you. Uh, COVID reporting and related safety measures question. With the increased reporting of inaccurate tests, duplicate positive testing, and the issue of symptomatic contagious COVID positives versus asymptomatic COVID positives, how can we ensure proper safety measures when the baseline for new positive COVID testing is inaccurate? So I think the the big takeaway, you know, if we're going to end up doing a, like any other business would do, a a review of a project, right? Let's just say we'll call COVID-19 a project. When we look back at this, because we're still right in the middle of the storm, right? But when we when we look back and a vaccine's been distributed, I think we're going to see that testing was a big, big issue, right? One, how quickly we got it out there. Uh, one, and then how quickly we were able to get results back and the partnerships with labs and the, the continuity of, of results. All that is, is definitely. Are we better than we were when we started this crisis? Absolutely. We are exponentially better. Do, do we need to have room to improve? Absolutely. I will continue to tell you without a shadow of a doubt, no matter how good testing is, no matter how accurate testing is, this in a public setting and social distancing is the most effective strategy to not only flattening, but changing the trajectory of the curve. That's 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 hands down. Um, But yes, I do think we need to continue. Dr. Toomey, uh, the governor and his staff have obviously taken complete control. That's their realm. That's their that's their their posture, and that's their job description. They are continuing to focus on ways to deliver quicker turnaround times on testing. Uh, I like you continue to hear stories about somebody you know feeling symptomatic, uh, and them taking testing or their inner circle, whether it be family or coworkers taking testing, and not getting results back for a delayed period of time. Nobody would would want that to be successful. Um, the state doesn't control that. We don't have any labs per se on our on our watch, but we we partner with local national laboratories, and so we've really worked with them on trying to find quicker turnaround times. And uh, certainly, we need to get better. And so, I don't want to make an excuse for it. We are working to get better. Uh, it, it is better, but think about every day. There's more people infected, and that becomes an even more more of a strain on the system. But we're going to certainly continue to try to answer the call. Uh, but at the end of the day. The mask and social distancing and, and cleaning your hands is the best strategy that we know to keep this thing uh, on a flattened curve. Because like I said on the front end, we never started this process thinking, hey, if you if you uh, stay at home and wear a mask and social distance that the virus goes away, our goal is to make sure that we flatten the curve at an ex- at acceptable level and we try to change the trajectory. Uh, obviously, we saw that initially happen and we've got an increase. And now we're trying to, to get back to get our hands on top of it like other states and try to make sure that we don't overwhelm our healthcare system. What I will tell you from a healthcare perspective, and there's probably doctors on this call that could make a much better presentation than me. But initially, when we were dealing with this, 
this was a, a tough, tough battle because the average stay in a hospital from somebody who was critical was 14 days. Now, based on the, the information and, and the therapies that have arrived that we've learned, the average stay of a critical patient that's COVID positive is five to seven days. Now, that doesn't mean that's everybody, but that is that that increases the bandwidth and, and increases the number of hospital beds, critical hospital beds for us to be able to utilize for COVID uh, you know, positive folks. So we're working hard. There's more work to be done. I think we have time for one more question. Right. What are the lessons learned from our state's response to the pandemic and how are we incorporating those learnings into our plans going forward? Yeah. Uh, so I feel like I, I answered some of that in the last question, but yeah, I think testing, uh, deployment of, of testing results back on that. Uh, how we have a coordinated strategy around getting kids back to school, um, you know, making sure that we understand. I think really one of the nuances, you know, I, I live in Forsyth County and we are scheduled to go back August 13th. I know they're developing a strategy in place as to what to do, uh, you know, when uh, inevitably a, a, a kid or a teacher or a faculty member tests positive and what do you do there? Uh, how do you inform those around, you know, kind of with contact tracing? Um, I think we need to make sure that we understand how to have, you know, coordinated access to healthcare. Uh, I will give the governor and his team a ton of, 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 you know, kind of praise and kudos. I mean, we were standing up hospitals in the throes of this in Albany and the World Congress Center and, you know, you know, temporary units all over the state to make sure that we had the bandwidth for this. And, uh, they've done a great job uh, getting us spooled up quickly. Uh, but like I said, there's more work. I think also. One lesson learned, and we, we learned this in the, in the private sector, is channels for feedback, right? How do you quickly parse out feedback and, and, and folks trying to, you know, chase a business uh, opportunity? Uh, that's one thing I've learned in this role, sitting in this seat, is, you know, who's giving me good advice based on something that's going to put us in a better position and who's trying to, you know, kind of sell the next something? Uh, and so certainly we've learned a lot around that and created uh, opportunities for, for, for lessons to be learned. But I, I can't praise the National Guard enough. I can't praise Dr. Toomey and her team at, at DPH. GEMA has, has operated re- very, very well. Um, a lot of good, good, good folks to pat on the back, our first responders, our frontline uh, healthcare folks. Um, but there, there's, there's definitely more work to do. Thank you. Alan, you want to wrap us up? Sure. Lieutenant Governor, thank you again for, for your time today. You clearly are one of us, even though you moved a little up 400. We still consider you a, a very favorite son of our community, and we're very proud of the job that you're doing and the inclusive leadership that you've showed in the last five months to uh, get us to where we are today. Um, clearly one of the more interesting legislative sessions we've had. Uh, we appreciate you staying in the middle of it, and we look forward to continued updates so for a wrap-up, I'd like to turn the program over to uh, your chamber CEO, Callie Boatwright, for some closing remarks. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate it very much. And Lieutenant Governor, thank you for being with us. And thank you to your team. Um, they've obviously been a delight to work with, but I know they've been on top of all this. So we definitely want to extend our gratitude to them as well. So thank you. Um, we also want to thank our sponsors, of course, Wellstar North Fulton Hospital, AT&T Georgia, and Access Companies for supporting this event. I also want to thank John Ray and North Fulton Business Radio X, and we will 
send out the link to be able to um, follow up on this later. I especially want to thank each of you for joining us virtually today. Um, as a reminder, our next Wellstar monthly event will be virtual. It will be on August 25th when the chamber will welcome an impressive lineup of small business owners who will be discussing how they have adapted during these uncertain times. Scott Hilton, the executive director of the Georgians First Commission, will moderate the small business panel and our uh, panelists will include Ryan Pernice, who is the founder of RO Hospitality, Amanda Wilbanks, the founder and CEO of Southern Baked Pie Company. Also, thank you so much to Renaissance Bank for sponsoring the event for the seventh consecutive year. And finally, don't miss out on our Greater North Fulton Chamber Golf and Tennis Classic. It is set for Tuesday, October 6th at the Manor Golf and Country Club. Our foursomes are already sold out. However, there are some sponsorships still available that allow you to bring in some golfers um, and a few early bird deals that are going to end on Friday. So um, if you cannot attend because you have specific COVID-19 restrictions at your company, think about still supporting the chamber by sponsoring sponsoring a tea box for your favorite nonprofit or your favorite restaurant. Um, and you can ch check out the Chamber's calendar of events as always for all of the activities upcoming. We know it's the end of July. And as we mentioned, school is right around the corner. So I wish you all a safe and happy rest of your summer. Thank you.